This is Echo Zoe Radio, episode 130 for February 2019, with Pat Abendroth on Two Kingdoms Theology. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 130 for February 2019 with Pat Abendroth. Pat pastors Omaha Bible Church in Omaha, Nebraska, and joins the podcast this month to discuss Two Kingdoms Theology. 2K, as Pat refers to it in our discussion, is a reformed outlook on how believers interact with the unbelieving world, helping people to make sense of difficult issues such as vocation, education, commerce, and politics, anything that we do to interact with the world around us, uh, both believers and unbelievers. Show notes for this episode are available. You'll find a basic outline of the discussion and links to additional resources, as well as a few of the scriptures that we referenced during this show and some related episodes that we've done in the past. And you can find those at echozoe.com slash 130. Also, once again, there's a video version of our discussion that is available or or will be available shortly. You can check out the YouTube channel or echozoe.com slash 130 if you prefer to watch the show rather than listen. And finally, um, there's also new Lessons in Logic videos that continue to be posted on a weekly basis. And you can find those also at the Echozoe Ministries YouTube page. With that, here's my conversation with Pat. Pat Abendroth, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Um, we're going to talk about Two Kingdoms Theology tonight. Awesome. Looking forward to it. Thank you, Andy. Yeah. Um, so before we start, let's uh, talk about you and your ministry and who's Pat Abendroth. Sure. I uh, live in Omaha, Nebraska. I was born and raised here. Uh, didn't grow up in a Christian home. Converted during college by God's grace. And right away, I wanted to go to seminary, I think, Andy, for all the wrong reasons. Uh, maybe not all the wrong reasons, but just wanted to know things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really motivated. Thankfully, the Lord had me in a, a good local church that helped me to learn the Bible and figure out giftedness and all that sort of thing. And then my brother was at Master Seminary at the time. Mm -hmm. So he was sending me his notes and books and all that sort of thing. So I moved to California, went to seminary. We graduated together. Uh, You know my brother, Mike. And uh, I almost had my my name changed because M, Mike, Stan, uh, comes before P, obviously. And I'm bitter even now that he graduated right before me. Uh, Which of the two of you is the older brother? So he's nine years older than me. Oh, wow. Yeah, he's got a little bit more energy than I have, <laughs> harder than I am, but we're great we, friends. We were just talking about those bikes before behind you, and you got to have a lot of energy to do that. Bikes are good. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> I, my name's Pat, and uh, I have a problem. So, uh, <laughs> six bikes in this house. So. Oh wow! I think we've got six bikes because we've got six people. Okay. I got a couple extra bikes, but yeah, I'll, our it's it's yeah. Fair enough. So I, I pastor Omaha Bible Church. I've uh, been here uh, 20 years to celebrate an anniversary. Oh, congrats. Thank you. I love it here. I love it that their people are hungry. They, I'm not I'm not afraid to teach the Bible. I'm afraid not to. Mm. So uh, that's a real positive. Uh, I love expository preaching. I love Reformation theology. Mm-hmm. Uh, Five kids, been married for oh, wow. uh, since 1991. I know my anniversary, but I don't know how many years that is. <laughs> Safe as long as I know July 20th is the, the date. Yeah, we so, did uh, New Year's Day, so I, I've never even come close to forgetting. Perfect. My That's forgetfulness isn't the, my anniversary. It's my forgetfulness is that I'm, I'm usually in the mind to do Christmas shopping. Okay. At the end of the year. And then it, it dawns on me. I'm not forgetting that I have an anniversary, but I forget I should probably get an anniversary gift while I'm doing the Christmas shopping. That's good. <laughs> but uh, so, yeah, that was the one of the best decisions we ever made as far as <laughs> making sure we don't forget. Very smart. So I have five kids. How about you? 
Uh, four. We have four. I'd like to tell people I think one is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, once you've gotten, once you get to about three, you look at people with, you know, you see people with one kid and they feel like the world's crashing down on them. Right. And you think, you just wait. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, or the old joke about, uh, the, I think it was uh, Tim Hawkins that said this. That first kid, for that first kid, that you're like a helicopter parent. You're you're very careful about everything. You're making sure they're safe, they're healthy, they're fed. Everything you know has to be perfect. The second kid, you get a little bit more relaxed. By that third kid, they're eating dog food, and you're like, ah, oh, it's not going to kill them, right? <laughs> I think there's some definite truth to that. Yep. I am enjoying being a parent a little bit. I always enjoyed it, but now that uh, I have older kids and younger kids, now I don't want it to go fast. I used to kind of be in a hurry. Now I, uh, I, I want it to slow down. I'm enjoying it more. So what are the age range for your kids? So everything from uh, 22 down to 10. Okay. So I've got a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old boy on the young side. And it's basketball, basketball, and more basketball. Uh-huh. Yeah, how'd your son do? You said, told me you were going to a basketball game. Yep, it was just practice tonight. So oh, okay. So. Appreciate you asking. Sure. Yep. Yep. We're having a lot of fun. Cool. I never miss practice. Just I can bring my computer. I can study. I figure, why not spend time with them if I'm here? Yeah, yeah, cool. I'm excited to talk about Two Kingdom stuff. We're uh, since you're asking about me, we're just finishing up at Omaha Bible Church on our Tuesday morning men's group, mm-hmm. uh, reading the book by David Ben Gurman. And so um, we have one chapter left, and uh, the men really are responding positively, really enjoying it, it's helping them to kind of have categories, mm-hmm. think weird things. So. Yeah, that's that's kind of how this came up was that you had tweeted about this and I yep. saw it and I realized I've got that book on my shelf, but I haven't read it yet. And and I thought I should read it. And uh, your your endorsement was what did it for me. I said, OK, I'm going to I'm a very slow reader because I tend to be kind of busy sure. and and it's hard for me to make time to sit down to read, especially, um, you, know, you know, I try to make time for Bible here and there, but, uh, but for books, you know, it's, uh, it's a struggle. So I, it took me about two months to read, was it eight or nine chapters in the book, yep. but, um, very, very good. Um, very fruitful for me. This is an interesting conversation cause it's kind of book based. And, and I've talked before about my feeling towards doing shows on books. Yes. Um, I've, I've come around in the last few months. I interviewed, um, Alan Nelson a, a couple months ago who, who wrote a great book on, uh, salvation and, um, he kind of helped change my attitude for the better on, on doing shows on books. But this is the first time I've done one where I'm talking to somebody about a book that's not the author. There you go. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not an expert in Two Kingdom Theology. So the, that I'm helps too. But, um, student pastor. Mm-hmm. So, and it's so helpful being just helping people understand the concept. So Yeah, so like, let's start off with maybe the most basic thing about what is Two Kingdoms Theology. So the, my understanding, and I know there's different versions, uh, different takes, but the way I think of it would be God is sovereign over everything. So it's true. He's sovereign over every square inch mm-hmm. um, because he's the creator. So um, there, I mean, he's in charge of everything. He has dominion and rule and the right to reign over everything. But based upon the data of scripture, I think um, an observation from scripture he rules and reigns in different ways, uh, two different kingdoms, two different spheres, two different realms. So you've got the common kingdom. Uh, all people are part of that, that domain. And then what theologians call the redemptive kingdom, only believers belong to that. And uh, I think that's, that's the gist of it. So mm-hmm. what, we're not, what we're not saying is... Um, that God somehow is bifurcated or he's only over the church and not the state. No, he's over everything, but it really seems like um, there's a distinction. And so that's what I mean by two kingdom theology, two sphere theology, two realm theology. We're we're talking about Christ and culture. Mm -hmm. It helps us as Christians understand how we relate to the world around us, how we relate as believers, how we relate as image bearers, um, which we share in common with unbelievers as well. So mm-hmm. there's my, my blur. Uh-huh. No, I had, um, 
I had a question kind of going through my head as I was reading this and, and Van Drunen didn't really get to it okay. directly, but I started thinking about our own national history and, and this whole concept of uh, separation of church and state. Yes. And, and I kind of wondered, did, did the founders of this country have two kingdoms in mind when that was first coined? I know it has a totally different meaning now. I mean, they want, right. but back then it was certainly like our realm is the common kingdom and that's what we're doing. We're not going to interfere with you on the redemptive side. Sure. Sure. I, I don't know the answer to that. Not an expert. Yeah. I'm just kind of pondering like it. He didn't get to it, but but um, that was definitely there. That it, it that kind of makes sense, especially when you give our history with men like Whitfield and Edwards, and and how they played such an important role, not just in our church history in America, but on on our cultural history as well. And, right, right. I, I do think a two kingdom perspective at least affords us with an ability to think through church and state kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. What they were thinking, I'm not altogether sure. Yeah, but it really helps me um, to, to think through some of these kinds of issues where, when it comes to distinctions. Mm-hmm. So he talks about, um, he, and he starts off talking with Abraham, and and you know Abraham was kind of the the beginning of that redemptive kingdom, as far right. as the scripture goes, and um, yeah. how how he also sets the model for two kingdoms as well. And that Abraham is interacting with the common kingdom. He's engaging in business with them. He's um, he's he's even appealing to to. Uh, well, I wrote down here. He, he participated in the in the military, rescuing Lot from a rival king. Um, participated in commerce. Um, participated in the, the judicial system. Uh, coming in coming in uh, agreement with restitution and and. Um, well, I'll let you take this. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I, Abraham ends up being, uh, Dave Andrunen uses him as, as a, a bit of a model mm-hmm. because we do see him engaging with unbelievers, uh, not worshiping with them. Right. Uh, because that would be a violation. Um, they have, you know, he's worshiping the one true living God, and yet he saw them as real human beings made in God's image, and there could be participation with them. In fact, sometimes their ethics were better than his. He was even rebuked by unbelievers at times. Um, so he is a, a pretty good example of that. There are other good examples as well. Um, I think maybe it would help too, Andy, just to think in terms of um, when we're dealing with the church versus Israel um, and Abraham, uh, mm-hmm. it really becomes significant because the church is made up of all nations. Mm-hmm. A nation, so we don't we don't have a king, we don't have uh, uh, military as the church, right? Uh, we don't have priests. Uh, we're made up of all nations, whereas Israel, uh, really, what they were a holy nation. Mm-hmm. They had a military, they had a king, they had a temple, and so it's very, very different. Uh, yeah, from us, and even even Israel was different when they were in the land when right. they were in Jerusalem. Versus when they were in exile. Mm-hmm. So I don't mean to be totally scatterbrained about all this, but um, just to give you some, some things. No, that was a big thing that helped me really um, start to make sense of all of this as well, is how he talked about the looking at Israel from Abraham through Egypt yes. as being, you know, two kingdoms. They're subject to the Egyptian Pharaoh. Yes. And, um, and then, as they go into the land, then they, they, it suspends that two kingdom and they become uh, a theocracy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Until yep. the Babylonian captivity, which then they're, they're pulled out of the land again. And then from then on they're, they're back to a two kingdoms. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And if you don't, I, from my perspective, if I don't have this paradigm, uh, even though it's still complicated and uh, it doesn't answer everything, if I don't have this paradigm, it's confusion. Yeah, it is. When are we supposed to, am I supposed to take the Old Testament and kill people? Because there are commands in there to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there's, it helps me to apply scripture and to, to have the categories and sort things out. Yeah. And and I, that's a good point that you bring up because um, cause even that tends to be, that was all under the theocracy but with, when they're within the land. They're not commanded to, to, to kill 
or put certain people to death when they're in the captivity or when they're in Egypt. It's totally different, right? Right. Or even, for example, in Jeremiah 29, uh, where the instruction is to seek the the good of Babylon. Mm -hmm. You're going to seek the, you're going to pray for even the good of Babylon, which doesn't make any sense in one sense. It's a pagan place, pagan gods doing pagan things. But there's a sense in which you can pray for it when you're there in exile, if you're Daniel. Mm -hmm. And Daniel definitely was a two-kingdom guy. Yep. So he, he wouldn't worship their false gods. He had to draw yeah. the line where he had to draw the line. Yep. But at the same time, he worked for pagans. and He, and he, he didn't promoted. just work for them. He was high up within uh, uh, yeah. Nebuchadnezzar's court. You know, he, was, he had a, a pretty significant role there. Yes, absolutely. And then what's interesting to me is you get to 1 Peter— and Peter borrows that Old Testament language and terminology and, and, and uses it for us. Uh, even though we're not Israel uh, as this holy nation, he uses the imagery, strangers, aliens, mm-hmm. how we're to carry ourselves, how we're to function. Super helpful. Mm-hmm. And I find it really helpful as a pastor of people who love the Bible. They believe it's all true, but so many times they don't know since they don't have the categories, yeah, they don't know how to apply it. They don't know how to think it through. Um, and and if we were, if we took it all just at face value, as directly applying to us, we would do things God never has called the church to. Yeah, yeah, and I like how he boils it down in that. Um, if you know, really the way to look at things is like we need to always be the same person, whether we're. Um, in acting within the redemptive side, we're worshiping with our fellow believers and whatnot, or we're out in our day-to-day jobs in the secular world, or we're voting or we're participating in a political system. We're always supposed to be the same person informed by scripture. But that bifurcation that you talked about, that if you you really got to look at like, what is being accomplished in this specific task? You know, right. it, whether it's commerce or uh, politics or art and science or, or uh, education or whatever it is, is this something that can be handled by the common kingdom? Is it something the common kingdom does? Or is this something that can only be done by the redemptive kingdom? Right. Yeah, that, that's a super important question we have to ask. And then what, what if the why is the church doing things it's never been called to do mm-hmm. uh, where human beings in general have been called to do those, those things? How can I not be unequally yoked? Yeah, Second, that's a good question. Second Corinthians six tells me I can't worship with unbelievers. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be sin. Um, but I'm also called to do other things with unbelievers and I'm to love my neighbor. Mm-hmm. So a two kingdom perspective helps me to sort some of that that, that out. I can, I can um, join with a Muslim neighbor and we can take care of one of our neighbor neighbors who's a Catholic widow. And we could do that together because we're made in God's image. Mm-hmm. That would be a good thing to do for a person, but to say, we're going to go worship together. Right. Well, that, that, this paradigm helps me think through, no, I can't do that. Mm-hmm. That would be different. You, you, you can work with an unbeliever. Most of us do. Um, mm-hmm. Whether we're delivering the mail, which didn't happen in Omaha or Minnesota today. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and to, to work for the government and do things like that. I'm thankful for Christians who do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't gather for worship with people who are, you know, nature worshipers, whereas we could work with them. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. and, and, the natural inclination is to, at least for me, and I know the way he wrote, he, he you could tell that he he was working towards answering the, the question he gets a lot, and that's the political side. Yes. But there's so much more to it. You know, you talk about working, you know, and um, do, do we approach our jobs as like we're trying to redeem something like, are we a Christian? Am I a Christian plumber or right. a Christian right. botanist or a Christian farmer? You know? Um, and, in, and in one sense you are, if you're a Christian, but mm-hmm. is there a Christian way to do plumbing? Right. Right. So, and sometimes, especially if we're, 
we're conservative, we're uh, leaning to the right, we're coming out of fundamentalism. Mm-hmm. We, we have a tendency to think there is such a thing as Christian plumbing. So <laughs> we look for the fish. Um, I kind of come out of that background and, and I think, you know, people are, I, I should, the Christian who is a plumber should give God glory for his job. Yeah. Um, or the recipient from the work of a Christian plumber. As a Christian, I'm thankful for plumbers and because God made people smart. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a Christian to be a good plumber. If that's right. Well, and then the, the, there's, there's, uh, when you really think about it, like if I'm going to do the job of a plumber as a Christian, is there anything that I should do differently from an unbeliever that's a plumber? You know, not, I mean, I can't think of anything here and, and <laughs> you, you want to do a good job. You want to be honest. You want to, uh, you want to earn your, your pay and, uh, you don't want to, you don't want to steal from your customer. And yes. And, and you, you, unlike the unbeliever can do it for the glory of God. Right. And, the unbeliever should be doing it for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. So it's sin, but nevertheless, there's no such thing as Christian plumbing, which goes sure. through. And even that doing it for the glory of God, I mean, that's really, you're, that's, that's really an internal thing. You're doing it yeah. as you're doing it. You're doing it as if the Lord was the one that hired you to do the plumbing. You, yes. You're going to yes. do the best job you can because you're going to serve the Lord in your plumbing. Yeah. yeah. And yet I know people who own businesses and uh, have said, you know, they basically told Christians, you have to work for Christians. You have to work for a business like us. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of more coming out of fundamentalism um, that that doesn't do what classic reformed theology does, uh, which would be Van Duren's background, to see, to really elevate the image of God. You know, so mm-hmm. we know they believe in total depravity. We believe in total depravity as people who appreciate Ephesians 2, Romans 3. We believe in total depravity, but that doesn't mean people no longer are made in God's image. They're still image bearers. And so Mm -hmm. you and I, and two kingdom theology affords us with um, a good way of looking at that. Oh, they did, that person's a great mathematician and and does amazing things because they're a Christian. No, not if they're not a Christian, but because they're made in God's image. Mm -hmm. That's an amazing thing. And I think that really is helpful, the, the image of God thing. Mm-hmm. Even though it's marred, it's still there, and that's why it really helps. And I think some, even some of my, my Reformed friends uh, almost talk like people aren't made in God's image, and they can't do anything good, which is an overstatement. That's, that's not total depravity. That's utter depravity, which yeah, isn't a Reformed point of view. Right. Right, right, right. So I think we've lost sight of this sometimes in our zeal for our Calvinism, mm-hmm. perhaps, and, and we're not quite there. Mm-hmm. Another thing that, that Van Drennan does, which I think is so helpful, is he he's not trying to redeem the culture, which is a big trend right now that we hear. Right. Yep. Uh, evangelicals are all caught up in it. Some Reformed Christians are. And, and so Van Drennan spends so much of the time in his book emphasizing theology, um, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, to Adam theology, federal headship. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, redemption needs to happen, and Adam failed, but we don't pick the ball up where Adam left off. Jesus Christ is the second and last Adam, Romans 5. And so now what you and I do, Andy, we want to do, because we're resting in Christ, uh, we are redeemed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not trying to gain redemption and uh, Christ isn't using, he's not called us to redeem the culture. He's going to come back and judge and then make all things new. So we, we get confused about what is our role what is his role. Mm-hmm. And I love the stress of the two kingdom theology. Yeah. And uh-huh. I, I appreciated the, the attitude that even though, the common kingdom is is really is temporary as we believe that as as believers that it's right. it's temporary we're still called to work within it to make the world a, a better place you know yes. to, to work through education and arts and science and yeah. um, you know tend your garden and um, and help your neighbor and and whatnot and um, and then along with that says that our job we need to 
to in our attitude to be serving mm-hmm. our unbelieving neighbors, not trying to conquer them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good perspective. Yeah. Absolutely. So that, that helped a lot. I, I really appreciated looking at it through the lens of the Babylonian captivity where they knew that um, they're going to be there for 70 years and right. they just got comfortable. They worked alongside the Babylonians. They, uh, they entered in commerce with them. They farmed with them. They bought, sold from them. Um, they, they were not worshiping the Babylonian gods. They exactly. disobeyed that command, but they, um, they did everything else that, that anything that wasn't sinful that the Babylonians were doing, they did right along with them. Right. Right. I think it would be really helpful if we, we understood that. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it's easy. Think how hard it would have been to be Daniel. Yeah. It would have been complicated. And anyone knows who's traveled outside of their own country. Um, it's awkward. It's strange. Uh, mm-hmm. you, know, you, don't, you don't feel like you belong and you don't know all the customs and you're trying to do your best. And then, well, that's how it is for us as Christians. We're strangers and aliens. Mm-hmm. Sojourners, yeah. Yeah, sojourners. And we're, this is not the New Jerusalem. We're mm-hmm. not trying to make it into the New Jerusalem. Revelation twenty one's got that covered. The Lord's going to do that. Mm-hmm. And yet, so so we don't have it all sorted out. It is, I like to tell people it's still going to be confusing, and you're still going to have to pray, and you're still going to be troubled at times of what to do. But at least if you have the categories, it'll it'll afford you some sanity in trying to think through what to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, and and I brought up I, maybe I shouldn't go too quickly here, but but I, I I'm always itching, and I've been itching for years to do a show that addresses this, but that political side. Okay. And um, it's something that I I know I I know I have, and I know a lot of other people have have struggled with, particularly over the last three years, four years since the last presidential election and that we've got this, uh, this guy who's working his way towards getting the nomination in one of our major parties who Christians are looking at him thinking that's, uh, he's probably not somebody I would definitely not somebody I would see at church, you know, and and not want to hang out with. And, and it was it was stressful for me, and I know it's stressful for a lot of people, to, not just to see what was going on in that realm with the political, but how Christians approached it. Right. Um, you know, I think I mentioned beforehand that I didn't support Donald Trump in twenty fifteen and sixteen. Didn't? No, I didn't. <laughs> but um, and a lot of the my good friends didn't. But. It really bothered me when I saw people who agreed with me started challenging the fidelity or the, even the salvation of people who did support him, that you can't be a faithful Christian right. and support this man for president. And likewise, it, it was a two-way street, and that was the biggest frustration I had in that election was seeing the way that Christians treated each other in relation to this guy who's running for president. Yep. I think, and I think that's why 2K theology, at least— it won't solve that, but it, it will help. You can afford some right. Uh, yeah, you know, and he gets into that really well. He doesn't. He doesn't provide the answers for people. In fact, he makes it harder. He's, he he demonstrates that two kingdoms gives you freedom, but with freedom becomes struggle and responsibility. That's well put. Well and that put. you need to work that out yourself. You know, use your theology. Use what you learn in the scriptures to you know, inform you, how you do that, but. You can't put that on your neighbor, your fellow believer, that yep. they have to come to the same conclusion that you came to. Years ago, when uh, Jay Gresham Machen, who wrote, you know, the classic Christianity liberalism, he, he was, people were, you know, scandalized by the fact that he was going to vote for a Roman Catholic. <laughs> but, and that was new, you know, in America. Mm-hmm. But his thinking, as I recall, was, I'm not voting for the pastor in chief. Because mm-hmm. he disagreed with Roman Catholicism, he was right. voting for the person he thought out of the candidates would be the better leader. Who um, was that? If you don't mind, do you I remember? remember? No, I, it, I know that was a big deal with with Kennedy, but Machen right. was was before Kennedy's time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was. I, another interesting story about this, Andy, is um, during the election time. Well, even backing up further, uh, on a Sunday night. 
Um, the previous election, I talked about voting and things like this, but I essentially was talking about two kingdoms. I wasn't telling mm-hmm. people who to vote for. And uh, I don't know if I've ever preached except at youth events in a T-shirt, but that, that night I wore my Jack Bauer for president. <laughs> Jack Bauer, huh? <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to make the point. Anyway, uh, from 24. Fans. Well, yeah, that's that. <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting because there's a lot of similar issues that we had in 2016. Right. But so, now this was 2012. I, I think so. Yes. Yeah. But, so, well, people would have had similar uh, conundrums that they were working through in 2012 that Jay Gresham Machen was going through, but it wasn't a Catholic, it was a Mormon. Exactly. Can we yeah. vote for a Mormon? Yep. And, and I'm, lots of Christians who I come here, here believers, would say no. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to try to help them think through things. Uh, I remember on a Sunday morning, uh, a sweet woman who's a member of Omaha Bible Church came up to me. And said, you know, I'm I'm so thankful. I don't know if you've heard or not, but Donald Trump is a Christian. <laughs> so I said, you know, I I, I love this woman. I, said, I hope I, so. I haven't heard <laughs> I that. I didn't know that. She assured me that she could now vote for him because now she knows he's a Christian because James Dobson met with him. Something uh, like that. Yeah. You know, I didn't go there at the time, but I just thought to myself. In, in her mind, she could only vote for an evangelical. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not there because of yeah. speaking of theology. Right. Um, well, and, and that's that puts a lot of stress on somebody. You know, I've been there too. That I earlier on in my walk that I would have a really hard time voting for somebody who's not a Christian. Right. But that that's unrealistic. I mean, we make up what five to seven percent of the population. How in our system could we ever think that we would get a big enough plurality to win the highest office in our land? Right, right. It's, it's, it it would be nice, but it's unrealistic. Maybe with the vice president. I know, I I think, I, I don't know where either of them stand. I, you know, I tend to think Pence is more likely to be a believer. Right. He certainly does things. The believers would do. I heard his wife is, a, is an evangelical believer. Yeah, there was recent controversy over her. Uh, is she is she uh, an administrator at a Christian school or something? She's an art teacher is what it was. Oh, okay. So, so anyway, I think. Yeah. I, 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 oh, along these lines, uh, a man in my theology for breakfast class just this last week said. You know, I think now I at least understand how someone can vote for someone like Donald Trump. He said, I'm not saying I am. And mm-hmm. by the way, I'm not, I'm not saying people should either. By the right. way, I know two kingdom people who did. I know two <laughs> people who didn't. No, um, yeah, no, I like personally, I did not. But now, unless something really bad and major happens in the next two years, I probably will vote for him next time around. Gotcha. So, gotcha. and, and, uh, I don't regret not voting for him and I, um, and I don't, I'm not telling anybody else to vote for him. That's the heart of the two kingdom is that's the decision that I've come to personally. And that, um, it, it's, it's not my place to tell another Christian, you have to vote somewhere. Right. Right. So this is a little off topic, but related. Mm -hmm. Um, so I recently, um, was, in conversation with Ben Sass, who is a senator in Nebraska. Mm-hmm. So um, I told one of our receptionists at church about it. She likes him. And she said, you know, I don't agree with everything he talks about. I would have some disagreements with him. <laughs> I said, you know, the beauty of two kingdom theology, we were talking about this matter, her husband's in my class, is it's okay. There, there, there doesn't have to be a Christian position on everything. Mm-hmm. And you, you could have strong disagreements and still see him as a brother in Christ. And uh, it's okay because there's compromise in politics. So there's not to be compromise in theology. Yeah. Like the That's light bulb. Well went out. I, yeah. I, said, I said, if you ran against him, for example, you could fight all week long and argue what you think is best for your fellow human beings. And then you can set your swords down outside of Omaha Bible Church, <laughs> both members, because you've been fighting all week. 
put your swords down and go in and worship the one true living God and mm-hmm. have all of that unity and then walk back out and argue. Mm-hmm. Just, it really is helpful when it comes to thinking through some of those issues. Yeah. But evangelicals want to make, you know, politics a Christian thing and they're going to tell you who to vote for yep. and why exactly. And it seems like we're, we're getting ourselves in trouble. We're, we're blind, yeah. redemptive, and common. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's the that's the takeaway, and that's what I I hope that I can help communicate through our discussion here too. Is that um, there is another election coming up in less than two years here in, in the United States, and and there are people who listen um, outside the United States. You've got elections coming up, and uh, maybe not this year or next year, but you know um, most of my listeners are in countries with with elections, and um, that that there are some certain you know, there are certainly issues that make it very, very difficult for a Christian to vote for one particular candidate or another. But there is also a lot of freedom and there, there certainly is no command that you must vote for a certain person. Right. Right. Well, and you think when, when a jailer in the book of Acts is converted, the first thing they tell him is to not quit. They don't tell him to quit working for the government. Mm -hmm. Um, And the government wasn't a Christian government. Right. There, There would be compromise and, Part of that is your conscience and praying and struggling because, it, because it's hard to be a stranger and an alien sojourn. Right. So. Well, and then, you know, that, that was one example. There's another example where the Lord was, was uh, approached by a centurion whose, whose daughter was ill. And he, he didn't rebuke the centurion for the job right. that he, he picked. And, in fact, he seemed to um, imply that, that he was well within his purview to be a soldier in the Roman right. army. And that, um, and that's that's the tough thing I think for us in this kingdom. We're living in the common kingdom is realizing that we're next to people, we're living alongside people who um, are not believers, but they are ordained by God, as Romans thirteen, Romans 13 right. um, to carry out certain roles. And right. yeah. uh, I like how Andrewonen put it that um, the stark contrast that. The, the the common kingdom the government is charged with the sword that they are to execute justice but in the redemptive kingdom what's quite the opposite we're to right. to practice forgiveness and and reconciliation yeah yeah, yeah it is different we, i really don't want a government that's always busy forgiving <laughs> I would like them to well we seem to be getting there and it's causing a lot of problems <laughs> it, is, it is i think i've seen a picture of the statue um Maybe you have, and maybe I'm getting the details wrong, but it had Constantine um, with the keys of the kingdom, right? As far as entrance, gospel, um, mm-hmm. you know, Matthew 16, and a sword in another hand. And that would be a, maybe for your listeners and viewers a good example of, of one kingdom, uh, of kingdom confusion. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it's the government doing both, it's not led to great things. Uh, like, yeah. Holy Roman Wars, uh, you know, re- repent or else uh-huh. kind of thing. And we don't seem to have that. That's not the reality of the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Well, something that wasn't discussed, um, Ben Drunen talks about the theocracy and the suspension of two kingdoms while the Israelites are in the land. Right. But even then, we see a, a, bifur- a somewhat of a bifurcation and that it's the tribe of Judah that handles the the governmental side sure. and the, and the tribe of Levi, the hands handles the, the more redemptive side of things. Right. Yeah, I didn't think about that. We don't have, um, we, we, we don't have one person. We don't have the King doesn't, isn't also a priest, ex, you know, with the only exception being the Lord himself. Right. 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 Yeah. yeah. That's fascinating to think about. And you know, you know, you also have the, the court of the Gentiles at the temple. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like, there aren't, there isn't nuancing as far as you, you don't kill all unbelievers um, kind of thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's not that, but uh, opposing nations. Maybe, I think it's also helpful to think about Islam. Um, yeah. It's one kingdom. Mm-hmm. And it might be a reason why, um, oh, you know, Americans don't understand how to deal with Islam because we think it's like Christianity. Christianity mm-hmm. is supposed to be all nations. We get along, um, and Islam is not that way. And 
so when we don't understand the differences because we went to whatever XYZ school that told us all religions are the same, mm-hmm. it's, it's not that way. And, and so now we have a, a religious system that wants to do government as well as religion, um, or it's not succeeding. And that makes matters very complicated. Mm-hmm. It's one kingdom, not two. Yeah. Um, and but you you kind of joked, but uh, about about the education system. But that was another angle I wanted to take too. That I thought was fascinating is talking about that decision that we as parents go through. Every one of us goes through it in some form or another in in education. And um, he he addresses that pretty well as to, uh, as well. Again, not pointing people saying you got to do it this way, but do you put your uh, your children in the government schools? Do you put them in a private school or do you homeschool them? You know, or, and and um, that's that's definitely a decision that needs to be made. But that's within that common kingdom side, right? Right. Yeah. I, he's he's provocative at the end. He's he's <laughs> you know I I warn the, the readers of my class. Just no, he's going to be provocative and try to get you to really think. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if you go to a Christian school and they have sermons in chapel. Um, why do they do that? And why doesn't the pastor teach math lessons during his sermon? <laughs> you know, so it's mm-hmm. he's being provocative. And, and part of that too comes out do of Do you teach math? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't. I tell people how to find Bible verses, but um, I, I like. Well, those are numbered I, at least, right? <laughs> it's true. But, you know, that comes out of his high view of church as well, which mm-hmm. fits two kingdoms. Church is special. Church is unique. Church should do what only church can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and so why do we ask other groups to do that? Anyway, I, I'm not trying yeah. to be kind of about it, but. No, I, I think that was a, that was a very fruitful and helpful discussion within the book is, you know, going through those things and recognizing that no matter what you decide, there are going to be strengths and there are going to be weaknesses to your decision. You know, if, um, right. If you're if you're homeschooling, sure you can weave your theology throughout the lesson and make sure the kids get a good theological uh, grounding in, in uh, education. But you're not going to be strong in in everything that you're going to be teaching. You might be weak in English or or weak in math or whatnot, and 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 that's just something that you're going to have to work through if that's your decision to, to homeschool. Right. Have you read anything else on Two Kingdom Theology, Andy? Um, I read the article you sent um, way back when we first brought this up and when we were first right. tweeting. By Mike Horton from Table Talk. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I think that's a good intro for people just to mm-hmm. kind of get their bearings. Um, yeah, and I'll put that on uh, the show notes. Um, this echoes. This is episode uh, 130, so com slash 130 in the notes and I always have an additional resources at the, uh, at the bottom, but, um, I'll put that in, um, a couple other things I thought would be good. And I'm going to put in the resources, um, a few weeks ago, did you see this interview that Ben Shapiro did with John MacArthur? I did see that. Yeah. I watched it. And I thought that was good in, in with two kingdoms in mind, the way that John MacArthur interacted with Ben Shapiro on that. that. Right. I think by and large, he was thinking, through things with that kind of lens. Yeah. Uh, even if he doesn't use those categories. Yeah. We, we were talking, I don't remember if it was before or after I hit record, but um, about the politics in, in uh, Grace Community Church and how when I was wrestling with that Donald Trump issue. Right. The, that um, John MacArthur looks at, looked at Donald Trump as the head of a coalition or a party. And said, I support this party, and so I will vote for him as the head of the party. Right. Whereas Phil Johnson, who's been, you know, best friends for decades right, right. and had also worked through in his own mind, what's he going to do, said, no, I do not agree with uh, Donald Trump on, on moral issues. I cannot support him. I won't vote for him. Right. Right. And I had appreciated how two men who are so... Uh, close to each other can have an uh, opposing point of view and yet respect each other. And, yeah. and they weren't, you know, while everybody else I was seeing was tearing each other down because, you know, you have to be for and you're, you're not, or you have to be against and you're for, and, you know, yeah. these two men definitely had a, a good approach to it. And, 
That's fascinating. Did you hear John MacArthur suggest that maybe the uh, the American Revolution shouldn't have happened? Yes, I think he said that in the um, the Ben Shapiro. That's what I mean. Yeah. 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 yeah, and I've heard others say, say that. I One of my board members for Echo Zoe did a show with me uh, years ago, um, and we talked about um, serving and respecting government, Romans 13 kind of stuff, sure. and, and right. he brought that up as well, and I thought that was provocative when he mentioned it, that yeah. are you saying? I mean, I, most of us probably wouldn't exist because our parents came over from different countries, and, right. Um, right. you know, I... I I'm Norwegian and German. I don't know if my parents would have ever met because half my family would be in Norway and half of them would be in Germany. Well, and but. I actually think that, that a 2K perspective at least affords us, it doesn't solve it, but it yeah. affords us with the categories. I keep saying that. Yeah. To think, to think that issue through a bit differently. Um, I remember Mike Horton uh, using this illustration, so I'll give credit where credit is due. Mm-hmm. He's a 2K guy. Um but he talked about in that movie, uh, The Patriot, the Mel Gibson movie. Yep. Remember that? Yep, I do. So the, when the, 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 the pastor with his clerical garb, um, when he's going to fight, uh, he takes that off and then picks up the rifle, as I recall. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't solve everything. There's still complications. But I remember Mike Horton saying that, that that's a good way of looking at things. He didn't pick up the, the, the rifle, if that's what it was, as a pastor, you yeah. know, in the name of God. It was more as an image bearer, uh, mm-hmm. as a fellow human being. And I thought, again, it doesn't solve everything, but the, that's helpful to, to think that through. So I tell the men at church, if we're going to take over the government, uh, we're not going to meet at church on Wednesday night. <laughs> we're going to meet at one of your homes. <laughs> <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Certainly tongue-in-cheek. No, it's, uh, I, I think, I liked that he didn't just lay out answers. Like, you have to, you have to see things this way. Yes. And yes. and that, that's the strength of this, is seeing that, you know, in so many areas of life, we deal with our, our conscience, you know, that we are trying to build up a, an informed conscience, um, informed by the scriptures, and right. make decisions, and that, uh, politics is uh, no different than anything else. We just are going to have to make up our mind. And there's a lot of audiophora. There's a lot of um, freedom in uh, what we can do with those decisions. Which, which again, is why I think Reformed theologians, not all of them are 2K, but those who are, are, who are 2K are Reformed, and they really value the issue of conscience. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise it's legalism. We're, we're binding people's conscience to yeah. things that aren't biblical. Well, that's fundamentalism. That's pretty much what it is. And mm-hmm. so now it's, it's actually legalism. You have to do this. You have to vote for this candidate. You have to do school this way. Mm-hmm. And you can't work for that person. Well, that's one of the big reasons why we had a reformation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Luther, was his big thing was freedom. You should be free unless God tells you you have to do this. Mm-hmm. I found that to be very helpful um, in thinking through the issues. Now, um, a question that I had going through my mind is um, in regards to covenant theology. Now, yes. um, I I still haven't decided after almost twenty years of being a believer where exactly I stand on you know am I am I you know I I'm largely covenantal. I I think okay. it's it's very biblical in many ways, but I see things about dispensationalism that are also biblical. So I, I, I guess I call myself maybe a progressive dispensationalist, you know, which is almost more covenantal than it is dispensational, ironically. But well, I, wrote, um, I wrote my dissertation on this, so let me get it. <laughs> Go ahead. But I, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, this seems like a very covenant-minded um, doctrine, two kingdoms. Okay, that, yeah, I, that's a good observation. I think... I'm pondering. Uh, <laughs> we should do a whole show on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think the guys who are articulating 2K come from that background, mm-hmm. but it's not, it's not because of issues related to the millennium or to the rapture and that kind of stuff. It's because they're covenantal in this sense. I mean, you know, covenant, um, it's because they, they affirm federal headship. 
So federal headship, two atoms, Romans mm-hmm. five. Um, a lot of people don't realize federal comes from foidos, which means covenant. Mm. So, um, yeah, they're definitely coming from that background. But to my dispensational friends, I don't want them to to think of it in those terms. I want them to think of it in biblical terms, uh, to Adam theology, because I don't want them to be scared away by, oh, no, this is covenant theology. Yeah. If anything, uh, 2K sees a distinction between the church and Israel, as mm-hmm. far as you've got this nation, and now you have the church made of all nations. And that's what I like about um, dispensationalism is I still see a role for ethnic Israel. Okay. Yeah. And, and that would be probably the biggest thing that draws me in that direction is, is the, the, you know, kind of not to let my eschatology drive it, but um, being a right. pre-millennial, you know, that um, I still see a, I, I see a future for ethnic Israel. Right. Right. Unbelieving Israel. And I think... But yet we're grafted in, you know, like it's, it's not, right. I'm not dual covenant, you know, I'm not. Right. I think you can, you can hold to the, the essence of the 2K system and you don't have to be amillennial, um, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, but it would be fun to do a show on covenant <laughs> theology just because I think traditionally covenant theology is about soteriology because you have yeah. covenant of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption. Yeah. That's just Protestant. That, that's where sola fide comes from. That's justification by grace alone, through faith alone, Christ alone. Yeah. That, that's not about whether there's a future for ethnicism. Yeah, and I think the reason why I was seeing covenant in is that in it is because he talks about the common kingdom as being that Noahic covenant. You know, yes. it, it began with Noah when Noah right. with the covenant right. with Noah, and right. that the redemptive kingdom began with Abraham. And so we see these two different covenants. Right. Yeah, I don't think that's, that's, doesn't have to be distinct covenant theology or something. Sure. It's very strong dispensationalist in classes. In fact, I come from that background. It's one of the things that's helped me to sort some of these issues out, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd love to talk about that sometime. I'll have to have you back. And it's a monthly show, so it might be a few months, but I'd love to have you back to talk about covenant and, and, and hash that out. I think if there's one takeaway from the book, um, I like to illustrate it this way. It's if Dave Van Drunen is your theology professor and is teaching you anthropology, soteriology, um, different ologies, and, and he's teaching you about two atoms and justification, and, and because he's, he's known for that, he's not known for two kingdoms. He's known mm-hmm. for going to the wall and battling for sola fide and the gospel. I think what he wants to do is when you walk across the hallway, if you're a seminary student, let's just pretend mm-hmm. when you walk across the hallway to practical ministry and how to do church and how to do culture, he's saying, don't you dare forget your theology. Don't you dare forget your theology mm-hmm. because otherwise you're going to go over there and transform the culture, you know, and you're going to redeem the culture and try to do all the stuff that, Start bringing Actually, clown shows into the services. <laughs> things Christ has already done. Yeah. So we're resting in him, and out of our rest, we want to do good and right things. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not redeeming anything. Um, right. Christ is, so to me, that's the biggest takeaway, so we don't get confused about what our, our job is. Right, yeah. In, in one sense, I, I like the book because it teaches people good, basic theology take the take the culture stuff out mm-hmm. uh, it's just good pure basic reformed theology and i'm mm-hmm. thankful for that yeah that seems to be um my experience with anybody over at um, westminster those guys all tend to have some really good strong theology and, i'm, I'm um, great for the clarity about the law and the gospel um, mm-hmm. other two kingdom guys there my court would be two kingdom um you know we mentioned the article um dg hart would be another one listeners might like he's kind of the bad cop okay he's not, he's not in california anymore uh, he's at hillsdale but a great historian um mm-hmm. written about nation so dg hart has a book called a secular faith okay and it's more a little bit different take but similar um perspective i asked van drunen what's the difference between the two of you one time and he said i'm he's, van drunen said i'm nice <laughs> <laughs> ouch so, uh, yeah <laughs> 
There are also a good series of articles, no, lectures by Kim Riddlebarger. Mm -hmm. He used to be on the White Horse Inn. Yeah. Uh, those are good audio, uh, good bike riding material. <laughs> and I think it's kind of helpful. You can find if you Google it. I'm, I don't know the exact site. But. Sure. Yeah, I'll look for some of this stuff and uh, as I'm editing and then um, drop that in uh, the, that additional resources stuff on the on the post on the website. So awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm getting um, text messages from my wife that my four kids are up. Um, like <laughs> she says, it's uh, she how she put it. It's out of control here. <laughs> so, oh, you, better, you better go tend to them. I, yeah, saw so, I thought maybe you were texting me. No, right. I was letting her know. Um, I, I I'll, I'll I'll try to wrap up. Give me about ten minutes or so. <laughs> no but, yeah, um, but uh, Pat, thanks so much. Um, all around, I I appreciated the the recommendation up front on on the book. Absolutely. And it was. Uh, I, I'm so glad that I saw that pop up. I I've been kind of um, reading other sides of Twitter. So I I, I, I sometimes it's uh it's very providential when I happen to pop into my main Twitter and see that this comes up and, or, you know, what, what comes up. And this was definitely providential and, good, uh, good. and thankful, cool I'm that thankful. it was already on my shelf. So. Uh -huh. I'm so. grateful that you're doing what you're doing. And yeah. uh, I can't believe you've been doing it for 11 years. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm coming up on, uh, I, what, um, April will be, well, this is a February episode. So two more and I'll have 11 years worth of shows. Outstanding. So yeah. And, and, uh, it's interesting because there weren't a lot of pod, uh, podcasts in general when I started, much less Christian podcasts. But uh, what podcast do you listen to every day, no matter what? It's available. Um, I li well, I shouldn't say listen. I watch uh, James White a lot on yeah. on YouTube, okay. and I try to listen to Al Mohler as much as I can. Um, he's kind of the the problem with Mohler is that he takes that month off in the summer. So as I get in the routine of having him on every day, then he right. takes his month off and then it falls out of my routine. And sometimes I struggle to get him back on. Gotcha. But, gotcha. um, I, I try to listen to Todd Friel from time to time. Um, some of my friends, you know, uh, Chris, Chris Honholtz from time to time. Um, the, the guys at, um, I want to say Anonymu, uh, theology driven, right. so, some, right. yep. some of those guys, um, uh, like good. to like to get a good rounding of of well known versus uh, you know just guys like me who are you know funny it goes in phases for me you know mm -hmm. he's really into something and have you ever listened to um, revisionist history no I haven't heard that it's a fascinating I think that's what it's called you know it's not a Christian thing it's fascinating okay. guys um, anyway give it a listen sometime uh, five minutes in church history is one that I do. But that's one I binge on. Right. Like I don't listen to it every. Is he do it weekly? I think. I'm not sure. Stephen um, Nick yeah, though. and I don't. I think he does it weekly. It's five minutes. It's only five minutes long. It's just a yeah. <laughs> very fitting name. Um, and I don't listen every week, but um, I have got some earmuffs uh, that I use when I mow the lawn, and they've got a little audio input on them. So when okay. I mow the lawn, I'll listen to like eight episodes or something at once and, and start yep. catching up in the summer. But um, yeah, that's a really a good one. He's, he's got great stuff. Mm -hmm. So, All right. so thanks Pat, um, the, the book and thanks for coming on with me. I, I really enjoyed the discussion and the book and uh, awesome. I did too. Thank very, you very, much. very, very helpful. I learned a lot going through in, in the prep for this. So, so what's next? What are we going to read next? What do I need to guilt you into? Oh, I don't know. You know, you mentioned Machen, and that's been on my list for years to watch to read Christianity and liberalism. You'll love it. I, yeah. I, I think I got maybe half a chapter. You know, I started. I, I like I said, I struggle to find time to read, but uh, that it was it was great. You know, the little bit that I read, and, and yep. that's on my short list is to read that. Good, awesome. Let me know how it goes. <laughs> I will. So. All right. All thanks. right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 130. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. For show notes, uh, visit echozoe.com slash 130.
Be sure to check out the website also for links to connect to Echozoe on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, and love to connect with you. So follow, like, and subscribe to Echozoe Ministries. Help us also get the word out by sharing or retweeting the announcements of your favorite episodes. And Lord willing, we'll be back next month with the March episode of Echozoe Radio. 